The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. What a joy to be here at Crown Point Baptist Church and to meet many of you folk for the first time and to get to fellowship again with your pastor and his dear wife and family. I have just grown to love this dear man over the years and thinking today how grateful I am to the men God has connected me to. And in this case, back in 1999 is when we uh, first had a meeting with him. And uh, so over the years, gotten to know him and just uh, love and appreciate him. And it's been a joy, just an absolute joy. I'm just blessed uh, just being around them. And I've enjoyed their family and uh, just uh, blessed every time. And so I thank the Lord for the privilege of being here. And I appreciate you folk coming. I know many of you have been here every service. In fact, how many of you have come every service? Would you raise your hand, please? Yes, quite a few of you have. And I know others have come every service you could. And you've been a good audience and uh, the only problem with a good audience is I preach longer. So it's your fault, not mine. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, uh, when people are taking it in, you just kind of feed it out some more and so on. But you've been a wonderful audience, which speaks well of the ongoing ministry that's taking place here. And I know the Lord is going to continue to work. It's a thrill to hear what the Lord has already done in the life of this, uh, this church of Jesus Christ here in this place. Uh, what a blessing. Well, we have done really a series on personal revival or the spirit for life. Uh, Sunday morning, the Sunday school hour, we looked at life again. Restoration to spiritual life. That life of Jesus, the eternal life that moved in when you're born again, now accessed as the animating power to your personality. And that message, we saw that there's also the whole concept of the outpouring of the spirit and a corporate revival. But we went further in personal revival in the Sunday morning service in the passage uh, there in Corinthians about being aglow with the indwelling Christ. People often ask, what does revival look like? Well, on the individual level, it looks like Jesus. <laughs> uh, it really does because it's his life animating ours. And wherever we are in our journey, whether it's a brand new convert who hasn't had time to mature yet or somebody who's been walking with the Lord for years, it's Jesus who is the dynamic of that revived life. He's the power. He's the goal. He truly is life, the life of life again. Then on Sunday night, uh, we went further, peeling back some deeper uh, levels, perhaps we could say, uh, as we look from 2 Corinthians 5, 17, on the new realities. that When you got saved, you had a regenerated spirit. That's the real you. That part of you is completely saved. <laughs> has to be. It's the nature of God. That part of you is righteous. That part of you is holy. Even when it's ignored and you have one of those bummer days, <laughs> it's still there. That's the real you. And that's God's view toward you, a saint. Hallelujah. It's his life in you. We saw the new leader, the spirit of Jesus, who has moved in to lead and empower through that regenerated spirit and rule over your soul and body. Well, how does that happen? It's all by faith. And so last night we looked at the key of faith and understanding what faith is and how it operates and the steps of faith and taking the, the provision that God has given. And all of that opens up into a wonderful relationship. And that's what I want us to see tonight in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, as Paul, under inspiration, gives the benediction to this amazing book on the Holy Spirit. And uh, verse 14, he says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion, fellowship of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, be with you all. Amen. I want to hone in on that final phrase in this, this, this uh, uh, plea of the apostle here. May the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. 
I'm going to speak tonight on friendship with the Holy Spirit. Shall we pray? Lord, we do thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this dear church, this pastor, this people. Lord, what you're doing in this place. Lord, we thank you for the amazing provision of your nature implanted in us and your spirit moving in that we might have a relationship with you that's not distant but near. So, Lord, give us understanding tonight and what it means to have a friendship with you in the person of your spirit. I do plead the blood of Jesus to protect us from the attack of the enemy who hates this truth and is so sought to bring confusion surrounding the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would blow away any fog of confusion in the minds of your people tonight. May truth be seen and come forth powerfully and be embraced that it might make free. And so, Lord Jesus, I claim our victory in you, our position in you, far above the enemy. And in your name, I exercise your authority once again over the powers of darkness that would seek to hinder in this hour and trust you that that not be allowed. May your victory be manifest gloriously. Lord, as Mary Lynn just sang, blessed Holy Spirit, breathe on us. Give us life. Life again. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In the last century, there was a medical doctor that God called to preach by the name of Walter Wilson. How many of you know the name of Walter Wilson? All right, just a couple of you. Now, this is a name worth getting to know. He's written books. You can still find his books on the Internet. Uh, just what the doctor ordered, uh, soul-winning stories by Walter Wilson and so many other things that he's written on. Uh, but he is a, he's a fascinating man to study in light of what we've looked at in these days together. He was a sincere man. You know, he wanted to, to, to live for God. I mean, you know, surrender. That was, you know, uh, yeah, I, I want to do what God wants me to do. And yet he was defeated in the sense of being very ineffective in impacting others in the cause of Jesus Christ for years. That's the part of his life most people don't know about, <laughs> the ineffective part. And God used a confrontation one day with a man of God from France who asked him this question, and God used this to change his life. The question was, what is the Holy Spirit to you? And Walter Wilson said, well, he's the third person of the Godhead. And the man of God replied, well, what you've said is true, but you didn't answer my question. I asked, what is the Holy Spirit to you? What does he mean to you? And Walter Wilson said he was dumbfounded. And after an awkward silence, he was honest and he said, Well, he means nothing to me at all. I know who he is, but I have no personal relationship with him. To which this man of God replied, that is why your life is barren and your ministry is fruitless. Now that's a confrontation. A loving confrontation. I'll finish that story, Lord willing, at the end of the message tonight. Friend, how would you answer the question, what is the Holy Spirit to you? You see, for many of God's people, they don't need the Holy Spirit because 
you know, just give me the list, tell me what to do, tell me what not to do, and hey, I'll tick off the boxes and I'm okay. And who needs the Holy Spirit when that's our mentality? Now, don't get me wrong, there's certain things we should do and there's certain things we should not do. That's not my point. But my point is God wants us to have a relationship with him, not a list. Otherwise, we turn into law focus. And so there is this relationship with the Spirit. So how would we answer? What is the Holy Spirit to you and I? What does he mean to us? Another way to say this would be, how's your relationship with the Holy Spirit? You know, if I were to ask a wife tonight, how's your relationship with your husband? She knows exactly what I'm asking. <laughs> and she'd know how to answer. Hopefully, the men would know how to answer if I asked them. How's your relationship with your wife? Ah, great! And the wife's sort of thinking, what? <laughs> and so on. <laughs> How's your relationship with the Holy Spirit? Is it rich? Is it real? Is it vibrant? Is it daily? Making Jesus the supreme focus in your uh, whole experience with God. You see, Satan knows that a believer rightly related to the Holy Spirit is powerful because he's a conduit of God's power on earth. And so Satan has tried to confuse the person and work of the Holy Spirit, getting some to focus on the gifts of the Spirit instead of the giver, getting others to get so afraid of any kind of focus on the Spirit because they don't want to be called excessive, uh, and they're willing to run the other way. And so Satan has won in both directions. Some who have gone into perhaps excesses beyond the Bible, others who ignore the Holy Spirit. Some have a false experience over here. Others have a false experience over here because no experience is another false experience. And Satan has tried to mess this thing up. And he's always done that. And friends, the Apostle Paul prays, may this communion, of the Holy Spirit. Be with you all. Communion. What a word. Fellowship. Uh, that's what it's translated in other passages. Partnership. Sharing together. Companionship. Joint participation. Functioning together as one. It's a picturesque term of friendship. And God says, I want this to be real for all of you. Be with you all. This is not just for certain so-called elite. <laughs> There's no such thing. No, this is for every child of God. This is God's will for your life as a child of God. Isn't it amazing that God desires to have a relationship with us? But he does. It's not robotic. It's not just tick the box. No, he wants a relationship. That's why he doesn't force us like the old master we saw the other night, uh, that forced labor, that old master of indwelling sin prior to salvation. No, now we have a new master, but he doesn't force. He wants us to have a love response and thus a faith response and so on. You see, he wants the relationship. So do we have a rich, vibrant relationship with the spirit of the living God? Now, we're in a relationship in the sense that the Holy Spirit moved in. But relationships have to be cultivated. And so that's really what I'm asking. Are we cultivating a rich, vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit? Now, how can the human partner cultivate a vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit as the heavenly partner? 
Well, in order to fulfill our responsibility in this miraculous friendship, we must simply understand who the Holy Spirit is to us. In other words, beyond the academic facts, the relational truth, understanding who he is to us, that will then aid us in understanding our responsibilities and our relationship to him. So tonight, from a vast realm of scriptural truth regarding the Holy Spirit, let's focus on three biblical affirmations of who the Holy Spirit is to us. Number one, he is the divine Friend, In this friendship with the Holy Spirit, we're the human partner. He's the divine partner, which means we're actually talking about a relationship with God. And friends, since we are in a relationship with God, since the Holy Spirit is the divine partner, then obviously we must honor the Holy Spirit as God, <laughs> along with the Father, and the Son. Now, in our text, you have all three persons of the Godhead. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then the love of God, referring to the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. You see, one God, three persons. And so the point would be that since this relationship with the, the Spirit of God, who is actually in us, since we're in this friendship, this partnership, we need to honor the Holy Spirit as God, along with the Father and the Son. Now, let me just divide this into a couple of questions to guide us through this part of our study. Is the Holy Spirit truly God? The answer would be yes. Okay. You are in a congregation where you know the right answer. And yet, I've been in many congregations like this one who give the right answer in their creed but in their practice, do not treat the Holy Spirit as God. In other words, in the fear of not wanting to be called, you know, wildfire, strange fire, excesses, and so forth and so on, we've kind of downplayed the Holy Spirit, really since the 60s and 70s. Our movement uh, in recent years has revealed that we're missing the leader, the real leader. Because when you start ignoring the Holy Spirit, then you got human leaders that step in, and you got big kings and little kings and so forth and so on, and it's been that way for a couple of decades. When the real leader is the Holy Spirit, and he is God. And what's happened is we've gotten so afraid of others who've perhaps gone into excesses uh, uh, in various ways, and not everybody has, uh, but un uh, undoubtedly some have, then we've been afraid of the Holy Spirit as one man in a Q&A time in a meeting like this. He was the lead deacon in this church, a very uh, uh, well-known church uh, in the independent Baptist world. But he's just being honest. He said, you know, you're right, you're right. He said, I kind of always figured that the fundamentalists had the Father and the Son, and the Charismatics have the Holy Spirit. And we kind of unwittingly done this, and because of that, we kind of minimize the Holy Spirit. And so we say he's God, but then treat him as a second-class citizen in the Godhead. He's the one who's ignored. Second class. 
And while we would never say that we're coming out and trying to minimize the Holy Spirit, I fear this is how it has played out. But you're right. And your answer, he is God. In the Great Commission, it tells us to make disciples and then baptize them in the name, singular, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, one God, three persons. Whither shall I flee from thy, thy spirit? Uh, the psalmist says, there's not a place you and I can go where the Spirit is not there. Well, you know, only God is omnipresent. Ah, oh, the Holy Spirit is God. He's called the eternal Spirit, Hebrews 9, 14. Well, only God is eternal. Yes, the Holy Spirit is, in fact, God. So let me ask a second question. Should the Holy Spirit be glorified as God along with the Father and the Son? Well, is he God? Well, then the answer is obvious. Yes, absolutely. And yet, I was preaching one time, <laughs> and it was a meeting that had a lot of preachers in the meeting. And a preacher came up, and he was rather exercised. <laughs> That's the kind way of putting it. <laughs> and, you know, he's trying to restrain himself, and yet as you open your mouth, it kind of just kind of floods out. You know how that is. Uh, and he said, you, you, you can't glorify the Holy Spirit. Where does it say that in the Bible? It doesn't. Now, what Jesus said in the largest treatise on the Holy Spirit that you're going to find in the Bible, John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus said, He, the Spirit, shall glorify me. That is true. <laughs> He's the Spirit of Jesus. He's also the Spirit of the Father. But one of His ministries is to testify of the Son and glorify the Son. And yes, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. But the Scripture never says, and Jesus never said, that we're not to honor the Holy Spirit. How about when the scripture just says, honor God? Does not that include Father, Son, and Spirit? Obviously. Because we have one God. And so you can see the confusion that uh, comes into play. And uh, uh, people get uh, uh, a misunderstanding of this. Yes, the Spirit glorifies the Son, but that doesn't mean we're not to honor the Spirit as God along with the Father and the Son. As A.W. Tozer put it, do you know that the persons of the Godhead are not jealous of each other? <laughs> because you're dealing with one God. It is fascinating from Genesis to Revelation, if you study this, it's a really neat study. Each person of the Godhead lifts up the other two. Fascinating. Do you know that... One of the reasons I think we've gotten off base on this is a, not just the overreaction to others, but we always try to you know, put a Bible verse underneath it. The, the Bible verse that I think is misused is John 16, uh, verse uh, 13. I quoted verse 14 a minute ago, but verse 13, where Jesus said of the Holy Spirit that he, the Spirit, shall not speak of himself. And here's the conclusion that people make, the wrong conclusion. They say, see, the Holy Spirit doesn't talk about himself, so we're not supposed to talk about him either. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will not speak of himself. And the word of is a word that simply means from. And it is very true that the Holy Spirit does not speak from himself apart from the Father and the Son. They work in perfect unison. But yes, he spoke about himself. How do you think we know about him? How do we get the word of God? Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the, the Holy Ghost. He's the author. Do you know there are 347 explicit references, explicit references to the Holy Spirit in the Word of God, and 261 of those are in the New Testament. And that's the age you and I live in right now. Now, let me hasten to say that those numbers are far 
far exceeded by a much greater number of references to the Lord Jesus Christ in keeping with the Spirit's ministry to lift up, testify, and glorify of the Son. But it doesn't diminish the fact that, no, he talked about himself. That's how we know about him here in the inspired Word of God. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, verse 10, I speak not of myself. So let's be fair. <laughs> if you take the phrase in John 16, he shall not speak of himself to mean you can't talk about the Holy Spirit, then when Jesus said, I speak not of myself, then we couldn't talk about Jesus. And so the whole idea is wrong. <laughs> and so we need to understand that. Here's another question. Who revealed the Father? The answer to that would be the Son. Remember what Jesus said to Philip? Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So that means Jesus is the revelation of the Father. That is, Jesus, the Son, reveals the Father. Okay, who reveals the Son? The Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is talking about in John 16, verse 14, when he says, He shall glorify me for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. You see, the Spirit takes of what is Jesus and shows him unto us. Just as the, the Son reveals the Father, the Spirit reveals, shows the Son. Now, why is that important? Because Jesus said in John chapter 5 that we're to honor the Son as we honor the Father. Why? Well, the Son is the revelation of the Father. And then he goes on to say that if you do not honor the Son, you're not honoring the Father. Why? Because the Son is the revelation of the Father. So in order to honor the Father, you have to also honor the Son because He reveals the Father. And if you don't honor the Son, then you're not honoring the Father even if you say you are. So when a Jehovah's Witness says that they honor the Father and then deny the deity of Jesus, they are deceived. Because they're not honoring the Son, which means they're not honoring the Father. Okay, let's take the same logic. If you have a desire to honor Jesus, and friends, the Bible says that in all things he might have the preeminence. If you have a passion to lift up Jesus, now think, if you have to honor Jesus in order to honor the Father because Jesus revealed the Father, since the Spirit reveals the Son, if you want to honor the Son, then whom must you also honor in order to honor the Son? The Holy Spirit. And let's go a bit further, just like Jesus did in John 5. If you don't honor the Spirit, you're not honoring the Son. See, Walter Wilson, in his testimony, you read it, he's written several books. He said that he was afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit. He was afraid that somehow he would offend the Father and the Son. So in other words, his desire was to honor the Father and the Son, not knowing that when he ignored the Spirit, he wasn't honoring the Son. Wow. This is no small matter. It's very important. Now, what is the Spirit like? Well, in Philippians 1.19, he's called the Spirit of Jesus. He's like Jesus. Why? He's the Spirit of Jesus. And he not... Uh, 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 Christ obviously sits in his glorified body at the right hand of the Father, but he sent his Spirit to live in our hearts. So the Spirit is here not merely in the stead of Jesus. He brings Christ right to us. You see... He is like Jesus. I love what Jesus said to the disciples there in John 14 as he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says, I'm leaving, but I'm sending another comforter, even the Spirit of truth. And he says, you know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now notice this. Next phrase. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So there it is. 
He says, you know this Holy Spirit. He dwells with you. He's going to dwell in you. I will come to you, letting us know that really the Spirit is not here merely in the stead of Christ. He brings Christ's life right to us so that Galatians 2.20 can say, Christ lives in me. Because the Spirit of Jesus lives in us. Do you see? And friends, when you minimize the Spirit, you're minimizing Jesus. In fact, since the Spirit reveals the Son, you have no other way of seeing Jesus without the Holy Spirit. What a deception from the enemy to get people in the name of lifting up Jesus, which sounds so orthodox, but then minimize the Spirit and cut off the avenue of seeing Jesus. That's why many are dry in their walk with God. It's not much of a walk. I remember some years ago, I was very burdened, very burdened, because I did not feel like I had a close relationship with Jesus. And don't get me wrong, I was saved. I got saved as a child. But I did not feel that I had, this is my adult life now, that I had a close relationship with Jesus. I'd read Jonathan Edwards, you know, and reveling uh, in communion with Jesus for two hours, and I'm thinking, what in the world is he talking about? <laughs> what is that? And in the mercy and providence of God, God burdened me, to do a study on the Holy Spirit from Genesis to Revelation. Oh, <laughs> as I'm reading through each book of the Bible, looking for what light is shed on the Holy Spirit. So I'm studying, this, this is months going by. I'm studying and reading and looking for what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. You know what happened? I'm studying the Holy Spirit and the sun rose. Because the Holy Spirit testifies to the Son and he glorifies the Son and he reveals the Son. And friend, the fact of the matter is, here I was studying the Holy Spirit, but the Son, Jesus, rose in my sight. You see, if you want a close and vibrant and deep relationship with Jesus, get to know the Holy Spirit and you'll soon be crying out, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. That's how it works. And so he is the divine partner and therefore let's honor him as God and no longer let him be minimized and ignored and treated as a second-class citizen in the Godhead. Secondly, not only is he a divine friend, he is a personal friend. I love this. He's a personal partner. So this relationship is not only a relationship with God, it's a relationship with a person. This is huge. Since the Holy Spirit is a person, we should treat him as a person. <laughs> now, friends, academically, we probably know this. Do you know you can know something and not know it? The text here says, may the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That word communion, friendship, partnership, sharing together. It demands mutual interaction, reciprocal interaction. Fascinating. So this is what we're talking about when we talk about cultivating relationship. A couple of thoughts. The Holy Spirit is a personality. In other words, the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. The concept of may the force be with you is not what the Bible is talking about when it comes to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I hope we get that. The Holy Spirit is not 
an impersonal force. Now, probably in this audience, many, if not everyone, would say, yeah, yeah, I get that, he's a person. Then, why do we sometimes say things like, you know, something told me. Now, wait a second. If he's a person, he's not a something, right? And when we say that, we betray the fact that we really don't have the right perspective. We acknowledge it academically, but we're actually viewing the spirit as an impersonal force when we say things like that. And so it's kind of hard to cultivate a relationship with an inanimate object or with an impersonal force. You see, he's not an impersonal force. He's not an inanimate object. You know, sometimes people are looking for a, you know, a sign with an arrow. No, he's a person who speaks and says, this is the way. Walk ye in it. A person. You know, when the Lord Jesus taught on the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16, in those three chapters, he repeatedly refers to the Holy Spirit as him and he which means when you got born again and your spirit was regenerated, so there was a place made holy for the Holy Spirit to move in. Friends, when the Holy Spirit moved in, He, not it, moved into you. And yet, probably every other meeting, maybe every third meeting that I'm in, and I'm in our 27th year, I think, now in evangelism. This happened, in other words, this happens regularly. I'll be in a conversation with somebody from a good Bible-preaching church, and yet in the conversation, they will refer to the Holy Spirit as it. This occurs all the time. Now, suppose after the service tonight, Pastor Irma and I are in the back and we're having a conversation, and we are talking about you. And uh, you're walking by, and it's amazing how our antennas work when our name is somehow mentioned somewhere. <laughs> and uh, so you hear this, oh, they're talking about me. And so you slow your pace. <laughs> Try to catch as much as you can. Is this good or bad <laughs> as you walk by? Now, suppose every time we referred to you, we referred to you as it. And, you know, and it said this. You know, and it did this. Would you be offended? Sure, then maybe we need to get right with the Holy Spirit because he hears those conversations. He really does. He's a person and thus needs to be treated as a person. The scripture says, grieve not the spirit. Only a person can be grieved. So he's a personality. A second key thought here on the fact that we have this personal friend is that a friendship is a relationship, and a relationship demands relating. And that was deep, <laughs> but it's big. You know, if this was a seminar on marriage, <laughs> and uh, we were talking about, you know, the ingredients uh, for a vibrant, healthy relationship between husband and wife. Now, there's a lot we could say. But what's going to be right at the top of that list when we talk about the key ingredients to cultivating a vibrant relationship with husband and wife? What's going to be at the top? Communication. I've heard a couple of voices say, every audience knows. It's in our human make makeup. We know that communication is key to good relationship. Now, there's other aspects, but communication is key. So let's think about this. 
does the Holy Spirit communicate with us? Well, of course he does. He speaks. The word comes alive. Some phrase in a song is lifted and brought home to your heart. Okay, he speaks to us. He bears witness with our spirit. Romans 8, 16, the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I mentioned that uh, last night. Not that uh, we feel like it, but that we are. It's a knowing versus a feeling. But when he speaks, you know. You just know. Why? Because he's the convincer. Now, he speaks to us. Notice where he speaks. He bears witness with our spirit. So back to the concentric circles. It's in our innermost being where the Holy Spirit speaks to us. That, by the way, is a help to us to protect us from counterfeits. Uh, He does not speak to us in the circumference of our being, nor does he speak through the outside audible voices where counterfeits can come into play. No, he bears witness with our spirit. The innermost core of your being. That's where he speaks. But he speaks. So he speaks to us. So, question, should we, can we, is it right to speak to him? Well, is he God and is he a person? Then the answer should be obvious. And yet Satan is throwing such a wrench in this thing. There's so much confusion on this point right here. Talking with a pastor just the other day about it. It's amazing to me. It's, it's, it's even taught this way in some of our Bible colleges uh, that, uh, that uh, this kind of dynamic doesn't take place. In fact, some of them don't even say that you can't speak to him. They say he doesn't speak to you. Unbelievable. Talking about Bible colleges and fundamentalism. Satan has really thrown his wrench on this. Why? Because he knows when you get connected to the Holy Spirit without hindrance, his turf, which he thinks he has, is threatened and so forth. So there's confusion on all this. And sometimes people think that they cannot communicate with the Holy Spirit. Walter Wilson put it this way. Personal presence automatically carries with it the privileges of conversation. You know, when you're talking to God throughout the day, who do you think you're talking to? You see, he speaks to us. We can speak to him. I have a friend who years ago when he was a young man heard Walter Wilson when he was an old man. And at this conference, Walter Wilson asked, okay, how many of you talked to the Holy Spirit today? And out of hundreds, three hands went up or something like that. And Walter Wilson said, wow. He said, you know, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit lives in you, which means he's always with you, and for you not to talk to him is not very nice. (laughs) You know, what kind of marriage would a couple have if only one partner did all the talking? Now, I won't go where we could go with this. (laughs) But obviously, you got to have some two-way conversation here. You say, okay, all that makes sense, but does the Bible ever tell us to communicate with the Holy Spirit? How about our text? May the communion be with you all. You see, this communion with the Holy Spirit be with you. You can't have communion without two-way interaction. It demands it. It demands the reciprocal interaction, which means we have an inspired word. Yes, it's two-way. He speaks to us, we speak to him. That can be very real. That's explicit here in our text. Implicitly in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm sending another comforter. He used a particular term, which means another of the same kind, okay? When Jesus was on earth, did he speak to his disciples and to people? Of course he did. Did they speak to him? 
Well, sure they did. Well, if the Holy Spirit is here as another of the same kind, then he's going to speak to us like Jesus did, and we can speak to him like the disciples did to Jesus. Absolutely. The issue is communication. Not necessarily, I'll bring this up, uh, not necessarily the concept of praying. When a husband and wife are communicating with each other, they're not praying to each other. Well, occasionally the wife is asking for the wallet, but generally we would not call it prayer. <laughs> it's communication. But since I brought it up on purpose, <laughs> let me ask, is it ever, I didn't say only, is it ever legitimate to address the Holy Spirit in prayer? Well, is he God? Then again, the answer should be obvious. I didn't say only. But you know, there are times when, sure, that would be very, very legitimate. Sometimes people say, well, where is that in the Bible? Well, in Ezekiel 37, God commanded the prophet Ezekiel to pray to the Holy Spirit, and it's recorded for us. Ezekiel 37, 9. Uh, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And in verse 14, we're told that that breath is the Holy Spirit of God. And so he was commanded to pray to the Spirit, and the prayer is recorded. Now, think about this. In the Old Testament, you're hard-pressed to find anything there that talks about talking to or praying to Jesus. Specifically. But when Jesus came, then it was obvious. You can talk to him and even pray to him. What was it when somebody said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me? Isn't that a prayer? How about Peter? Lord, save me, as he's about to sink. Okay. Even though there was no Old Testament precedent. But when he came, it was the obvious reality. Okay. So even though there's not a lot of scripture on this, when Jesus ascended and sent the Spirit. And again, if he's another of the same kind, uh, this should be obvious. My wife sang tonight a prayer to the Holy Spirit. You're probably familiar with songs like Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on Breathe on me, breath of God. Oh, Holy Ghost, revival comes from thee. No, 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 we could go. Is that legitimate? Some today would have us believe that it's not, but, but it is. And obviously the old hymn writers had much better understanding about this than we do today. Why are we all out of whack? Well, again, uh, when there was the overreaction from the 60s and 70s to some excesses, uh, we just got out of balance. And one of the... Uh, uh, reasonings goes like this. Well, what about the Lord's Prayer? Didn't Jesus say we're to say our Father? And so the textbooks say we pray to the Father on the merits of the Son through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's in the theological textbooks. And that certainly is legitimate. My point is it's not the only. And that's a textbook, not the textbook, <laughs> the Bible. Think about the Lord's Prayer. Remember when it was brought up uh, by Jesus in Matthew 9? Jesus said, after this manner pray ye. He didn't say this was the only prayer you could pray. And I want you to think with me. 
if you can only address the Father based on the Lord's Prayer and therefore not the Holy Spirit, then to be consistent, you couldn't pray to Jesus either. You know, I've met a lot of people who got saved asking Jesus to save them, and he did. And again, there's all those examples of prayers to Jesus right in the Gospels, every couple of pages, and uh, so forth. So if you're going to be consistent, you'd have to deny God the Son and God the Spirit and say only God the Father. Well, obviously, there's an imbalance there. Um, and there's a misunderstanding. And if you can only pray to the Father based on the Lord's Prayer, on the same logic, the only prayer you could pray would be the Lord's Prayer, and you're back to Roman Catholic mantras. So it is a misunderstanding, but it's had widespread influence. It's fascinating to me that in the book of Acts, there are 13 prayers recorded, and 12 of them do not say our Father. It's fascinating, isn't it? They say, Lord. In some cases, it's very clear it's not talking about God the Father. In some cases, it's very clear it is talking about God the Son. And uh, then we saw on Sunday that uh, 2 Corinthians 3 also says, now the Lord is that spirit. He's called Lord too. My point is, somehow we've gotten imbalanced on this. And we don't need to because if we get imbalanced, then we minimize the role of the Holy Spirit. Then we're left without our real leadership and the real power that we so desperately need. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9. He said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Well, who is the Lord of the harvest? Well, who descended in mighty power in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, so that 3,000 were harvested, were specifically told it was the Holy Spirit. Who was it uh, in uh, uh, Acts chapter 8 that uh, said to, the, uh, the, uh, uh, to Philip uh, to, to uh, join yourself to this chariot, referring to the Ethiopian eunuch, so that he could be harvested. We're specifically told that was the Holy Spirit. Who was it in Acts 10 that said to Peter, go with these men, nothing doubting, to get them over to Cornelius' house, to open up the door to the Gentile harvest. We're specifically told that was the Holy Spirit. Who was it in Acts 13 that said to the church at Antioch, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them, the first missionary journey, harvest, harvest, harvest. Who was it in Acts 16, Acts 16 that forbade Paul's team from going this way to get them over into the Macedonian and harvest were specifically told that was the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, by implication, who's he talking about? The Holy Spirit. You know, you can talk to the Holy Spirit about the harvest. You can be in a crowd of people and say, Holy Spirit, you know who you're working on and who needs a word right now. Would you guide me? We were hearing Pete Rice one time preach a message at the Bill Rice Ranch. And he prayed that prayer. He said, Holy Spirit, we're in this neighborhood and we've just kind of, we're just knocking on doors and nothing's happening. He said, you know who you're working on. Would you guide us now? <laughs> and the next house they went to, and I don't know that it was in the pattern of what they were doing. <laughs> the person got saved. You know, the Holy Spirit's the leader. He's the Lord of the harvest. Now, having said all this, let me hasten to say, this doesn't in any way mean to downplay the Father. No, no, no. He is the Father. In fact, it is the Holy Spirit, according to Romans 8, His ministry that frees us to cry out, Abba, Father. Do you know much of the time we are going to say and we are privileged to say, Our Father. It's glorious. When you just let that privilege sink in alone, that you get to say, my Father, our Father. That's marvelous. So much of the time, if not most of the time, we'll address the Father. 
So we're not talking about downplaying the Father. Certainly not talking about downplaying the Son. No, that in all things he might have the preeminence. What we are saying is, let's stop downplaying the Spirit. This is not a matter of getting out of balance. It's a matter of getting back into balance. I remember in the Philippines when God moved. I think I told a little bit of that story Sunday morning. Uh, but at any rate, God moved in some very special ways. There was a wonderful breath of the Spirit and an outpouring of the Spirit in, in a, a corporate revival. But I remember when the Spirit of God brought such conviction that you just got flat on the floor. These dear Filipinos were crying out and saying, Oh, Holy Spirit, forgive us for not treating you as a person. I'm going to tell you, when they got right with the Holy Spirit, things began to happen in that church. I think of a meeting in Singapore where the pastor got up and in front of his congregation, and in Chinese culture, this is a big deal, and got right with the Holy Spirit for minimizing him and his ministry. That church, in a five-year period of time, exploded and more than quadrupled without compromise. I think there's a connection. See, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. He's the Spirit of the Father. Jesus goes to the throne and he sends his throne gift, the Holy Spirit. And so he is the divine partner. Let's honor him as God. He's a personal partner. Let's treat him as a person. And if we need to, let's get right with him about that. But now, number three, he is, in this friendship, the senior partner, the senior friend. In this friendship... There's a human partner and a divine partner. And so there's a junior and a senior. And we need to know who's the junior and who's the senior. <laughs> and we're not the senior. He is. And so that means if he's the senior partner in this friendship, in this partnership, we need to yield to the Spirit as Lord. And that involves two categories, not one. If you don't get the two, you get imbalanced. It involves his lordship to lead us, and it also involves his lordship to empower us. Often we get one of those. We say, God, I surrender all, and I'm going to do it. <laughs> no, you're not, because you can't. I fell into that one for a few years. It was really a pain in the neck uh, because I was trying to live the surrender life without the power of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> and I couldn't do it. Other times we go to the Spirit and say, God, I'm coming to you for your power. Now bless my plans. Not quite how we say it, but almost. Now, God, here's the plan. We need you to bless it. <laughs> so in that case, we're going to him for his power, but we're acting like the leader. In the first case, we're saying, I surrender your leadership, but we're depending on our own power. But when you get them both together, this gets really exciting. When you trust his power to obey his will, when you understand that the spirit of Jesus is the source of power and he's the goal. See, often we go to him for his power, and the goal is whatever we think Christianity should play out like and look like. Some emphasize more holiness, some emphasize more service, but we have our view of how it should all play out. And the problem is, when we go to him for his power, and the goal is how we think it should play out, that means we think the goal of how it should play out, we think all of that is better than Jesus. My friends, don't get me wrong, there's certain things that ought to play out. But the goal is not the things. The goal is him. When you understand that the spirit of Jesus is not just the power, he's the leader. 
He's the goal. And friends, when you get to him as the goal, then it's going to play out right wherever you are in your journey. But that may look a little different than the next guy who's at a different spot on his journey. In other words, absolutes are absolutes based on the written word of God. There's your plateau of truth. Anything less than that is compromise. But within the absolutes, there are some variables. That's where you obey the Holy Spirit. If everything was absolute, if everything was black and white, you don't need the Holy Spirit. So God gave us the black and white. There's your plateau of absolutes. And within that plateau, because you can't get off of it. If you do, that's compromise. But within that plateau, that's where you have your personal relationship with the Spirit. And the Spirit of God may lead you. You know, you need to draw a line here. You need a guard here in your life, in this area, or you're going to go off the cliff. You know what that means? You better put that guardrail in. We call them standards, whatever. What the Holy Spirit leads you to do, you better do. But understand, sometimes he leads you to do that to protect you from going off. Sometimes he leads you to do that to protect those whom you influence from not being hurt. So sometimes it's not so much for you, maybe those around you. But understand, when the Holy Spirit leads you, he may lead somebody else a little bit differently, as long as it's on the plateau. And often what we think, well, if i got to draw this line and I can't do that, I don't want anybody else to be able to do it either. <laughs> if i got to be miserable, so does the, <laughs> the next guy. No, wait a second. <laughs> the Holy Spirit knows where we are in our journey. You see, we often make it a one-size-fits-all. We make it a science when it's not a science, it's an art. Because everybody's at a different point in their journey. Physically, a two-year-old makes messes, right? But when a two-year-old makes a mess, how many times do they think, oh, what's with you? Oh, no, he's a two-year-old. Now, if the 12-year-old is making the same mess, we probably have a problem here, <laughs> and so on. But my point is, the different points in their journey, you know, the same is true spiritually. You know a brand-new convert can be spirit-filled, right? In fact, he's commanded to be. But that doesn't make him mature. That takes time. See, there's your journey. So when you're rightly related to the Spirit, that's when you grow. So just because you're spirit-filled doesn't mean you're mature. It means you're maturing. That's how you mature. And so we need to understand that. But the point is, the Holy Spirit's the leader. He knows what's best for you. He knows what's best for this person and this person. You know, some men, the Spirit of God will not let them get a smartphone. Well, then they better obey the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't mean they're dumb. Because if the Holy Spirit leads that way, you obey. But that doesn't mean you condemn the guy where the Holy Spirit has given him freedom to use that smartphone and has his own uh, ways of guarding and blocking and protections and whatever, whatever. In other words, they're both on the plateau. Do you get it? If they're obeying the Holy Spirit. Um, nobody has a right to, in the name of the Spirit, violate the absolutes of God's Word. You know, some people say, well, I'm obeying the Holy Spirit and they're watching junk. They're deceived. According to Ephesians 5, fornication, uncleanness, all this, let it not be once named among you as become as saints. So not just that we not participate in it in our own experience, let it not be named in, among you in a condoning way. So in other words, don't watch filth. There's many other verses that would teach that. Okay. All right. So that's the big deal. Don't watch filth. Now, there's all sorts of venues. This used to be easy to preach on, but now there's so many different venues uh, for, for people to watch stuff. Uh, the point is this, you can't so much focus on the venue, you got to focus on the content. And God leads some people to say, you don't need that venue in your life because that content will somehow get through and it's going to hurt you. So obey the Holy Spirit. Do we get it? 
and uh, this person he may lead to draw here. In other words, if you're on the plateau, compared to anything not on the plateau, you're strict. But up on the plateau, they're strict and there's more strict. But they're on the same level. <laughs> and so if we say, well, no, this is where I got to draw the line. Everybody's got to draw the line here. Then you've no longer got a plateau. You've got a pinnacle with you on the top with a nice big old halo up there. <laughs> but friends, where the Spirit leads, obey Him. You know, it's okay to have a conviction that nobody else has that you know, that you know of. <laughs> if the Holy Spirit leads you that way, obey Him. I remember time as a teenager telling my dad, well, Dad, you know, can I do such and such, you know? And Dad says, no. And I said, well, you know, so-and-so, and he's, you know, he's a deacon's son. He can do it. And Dad said, but you're a Van Gelderen. Oh. <laughs> well, God had led Dad for us. This is where we're going to draw the line. Now, as I got older, I began to understand some of the reasons for some of those things. When you're younger, it's a little different and so forth. But Dad's whole point was, look, it's okay if we have a conviction nobody else has. But he also understood that as long as people are on the plateau, then they get to obey the Holy Spirit too. And there may be some variations within the absolutes. But my point is the Holy Spirit is the leader. I'm going to tell you something. When there's sin in the life, he's always going to lead you to deal with it. Always. Grieve not the Spirit, as Ephesians 4, and it's in the whole context of dealing with sins, lying and bitterness and anger and blowing up and all sorts of stuff. Friend, if you, have no, if, you, if you have a known sin in your life right now, then you are violating your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because <laughs> I guarantee you, he's convicting you of it, or has, until perhaps you got desensitized. Deal with it. You know, in the great Welsh revival that I referred to earlier, I just looked at my watch, I should not have done that. Or maybe I should have. Oh. <laughs> uh, Evan Roberts, who was so used to God, there was many voices in the revival, but he was probably the most prominent voice in the revival, a young man of 26 when the revival began. He had a four-point message. He preached it all over South Wales. He was a true evangelist. He re-preached the same message. <laughs> any rate, uh, in the four points, his first point was deal with all known sin. Deal with it. Why? Because it's in the way. Don't keep walking around with baggage that you already know is baggage. Confess it. Get honest. Let the blood come in and clean you up. Then he said, if there are doubtful things, away with them until you're convinced. In other words, what we often do is say, well, good men debate about this. In other words, debatable things. But what we often do is say, well, there's a debate about this, and this is a gray area, so I'll just go ahead and do this. Well, no, wait a second. Who are you giving the benefit of the doubt, God or the enemy? <laughs> See, when it's doubtful and you're not sure whether or not it's right or wrong, away with it until you're convinced by the Spirit through the Word. I fear that American Christianity has allowed the doubtful things to become the dominant things. That was the second point. And then he went on to uh, publicly confess Christ. In other words, be unashamed of Jesus openly. Talk about Jesus, and then number four, obey the Holy Spirit. That was the message went all over Wales. It's a great message. See, he's the leader. He was sin. That's the negative side. But obey the Spirit. That's the positive side. Quench not the Spirit. In other words, say yes when he says, hey, give that person a track. You ever been in a crowd and you have a burden to give a particular individual in that crowd a track? <laughs> well, that's the Holy Spirit. Obey him. And sometimes he says, say something. 
Sometimes he says, just give it to him. That's all the time there really is. Other times he said, you know, talk to him, engage him. Sometimes the Spirit of God will burden you to go to somebody and say, how's it going? And then they give you the surface answer, and then he burdens you to say, how's it really going? And then the floodgates open. One of the dynamics of a local church congregation where there can be that bolstering of the believers. See, he's the leader, but he's also the enabler. He's the power source. And friends, according to Luke eleven thirteen, here's one of the promises. We talked about promises last night and facts that uh, we can ask for. If you then be able to know how to get good gifts to your children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The grammar means give the power of the Spirit to those who ask. And so when we need the power of God in witnessing and, uh, and the ministry to others, then we can ask for that power. And God says he'll give it so we can take it so that when we act, it's not just us. It's the Spirit flowing through us so the rivers of living water come out and they touch those people and they are impacted by the power of the Spirit of Jesus himself. See, he's the power for all of this. Well, let me wrap it up. Walter Wilson, that's where we started. He got hungry after that confrontation. And so he began to desire to know the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, when you seek him, he will be found of you. And in the providence of God, he heard a sermon by James M. Gray from Moody Church, Chicago, on Romans 12, 1 and 2. And uh, James Gray said, you're to present your body to God. He said, it's the Spirit of God who lives in you. Specifically, give your body to the Holy Spirit. That's faith in his leadership. So that verse 2, but be transformed. That's in the passive. Allow yourself to be transformed. So you're not only trusting his leadership, you're trusting his power to transform you, to enable you to follow his leadership. And uh, James M. Gray leaned over the pulpit and says, he said, it is the spirit that you must uh, present your body. Will you do this tonight? And Walter Wilson knew that's what was missing. See, the vital relationship with the spirit. Yes, he knew the Spirit of God was already in him. Yes, he knew uh, the academic stuff. But that's what he knew was missing from the relational standpoint. So he went home that night uh, deeply impressed that this was the answer. He opened his Bible to Romans 12, 1 and 2. He got flat on the floor. Nothing magical about that. That's just what he did. He put his finger on that text. And addressing the Holy Spirit, he essentially prayed, Holy Spirit, I give you my eyes to see through my ears to hear through, my tongue to speak through, hands to work through, feet to grow through, and, and so forth. And he cast his dependence on the Spirit of God to empower him to do what God had called him to do. The next morning, he told his wife, he said, this is going to be a wonderful day. He said, last night, <laughs> I transferred my dependence to the Spirit of Jesus. He's going to use me. He's going to do it without a doubt. And his wife said, well, call me when something special happens. Three hours later, he called home and said, two ladies came into the office. The Spirit of God said, speak to them about Jesus. And he said, I witnessed to them. Both of them understood. Both trusted Christ. And that was the beginning of a new Walter Wilson. He had had 17 years of ineffectiveness. And now, Walter Wilson saw people saved and more people saved. He's written books, soul-winning stories. You can read them today. What happened? He took seriously his friendship with the Holy Spirit. May we do the same. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church. If this message was a help to you, please feel free to share it on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.